Um, thank you, and thanks for having me tonight. I'm Chia. I'm a compulsive eater. My recovery is the story of learning to take better care of myself. It starts with a bowl of food in one hand and a spoon in the other. And this was supposed to be going in the refrigerator and it kept like not quite making it and not, I wasn't taking bites, not even half bites, just little taste. So, so I kept this up until a voice said, stop. And this voice said, soon. And this voice said, no, stop now. And this voice says, it's so good. Just, uh, just another taste. And this voice said, you know what it's doing to you. Your A1Cs are too high. Your retinas are beating. You're going to go blind. Stop now. And this voice said, fuck you. I'm doing it anyway. And that's what my life was like before I came to OA. When I lost that struggle with temptation, which I always did sooner or later, I thought, I have got to get this in hand. I've just got well, to bu buckle down and do it. Well, actually, you know, I tried that yesterday. Well, try harder. Well, actually, I tried that yesterday. And you know what? As a matter of fact, the harder I try, the worse it gets. And that was the moment when the first change came in my life. So, the, you know, so I started with this life of turmoil and I wouldn't be talking if I wasn't now having a different kind of life. And if my life is going to change, what are those changes that have to happen? And the way I understand them, I've, I've thought them out into 12 that go with the steps. It could have been 23, but I made them into 12. And because we never talk about this in meetings, I've asked Paul to put them in the chat for me, along with my contact information, so that if you want to talk more about it, you can drop me a line anytime. So that first change was when I saw that trying harder was making it worse, I became willing to stop trying harder. Now, somebody else admits they're powerless over food and they become willing to stop dieting or whatever they're doing that doesn't work. So, you know, we might go about it very differently, but the result is the same. We both need the change where we're willing to stop doing the thing that doesn't work so that we can then go look for something else. And, um, you know, it, we talk all about how to do it in meetings when actually we all do it different. I mean, that first change just happened how it happened. So I think OA really misses the point when we copyright the how-to part and neglect the changes, which is where the commonality is. So that's why I think they're important enough to put them in the chat there. So, so that was the first change. And immediately after that, um, I thought, you know, I, I can't do this by myself. I need help. I better check out OA. Um, and that's actually the second change. So instead of just giving up completely, 
I became willing to go looking for some solution that, so far as I know, didn't even exist, but I was willing to look. So I went to an OA meeting and I didn't hear any recovery there. So I went to another one and I did hear recovery there and I got a sponsor and, and I got launched into this process. So the next change that I needed to happen was I needed access to the power to stop this tug of war that was going on in my life and destroying the serenity that I had worked so hard for in other recovery programs. Well, I already had a higher power. My higher power is um, peace, integrity, joy, love, respect, all the intangible qualities that make life worth living, the whole list of them. I can't recite them all, but, but you know, the good stuff. And, and that, that guides me really well in my interactions with other people. And it also gives me the power that I need to, to follow my own guidance. You know, if I'm guided by um, respect and I, I uh, act respectful <clears throat> toward someone, it, it, it makes me feel, you know, that gives me the sense of satisfaction that propels. And it also, you know, other people like those things too. And so they will add their power and, you know, the whole thing works. But what's that got to do with how much food I put in my bowl? I mean, I, I couldn't apply it to food at all. And so I have the power in my subconscious mind I mean, everybody does, even doctors admit we have, you know, they'll talk about the placebo effect and everything. And that's just that power in the subconscious mind, but how to get access to it. And um, so I started casting around and I think that must've been sort of a request to my subconscious mind because it piped up and gave me the image of a friend of mine years ago when she was a single mom of, a a young son, you know, maybe six, seven years old. And he, he, he was a lot like this voice in my head. You know, he never got to the fuck you part, but he wanted what he wanted when he wanted it. And, um, and she never got into this. She was so loving with him and she just taught him and, and they could, you know, they could discuss and negotiate and, you know, he's like six years old and, and she's explaining to him why it's socially acceptable, unacceptable to pick your nose at the dinner table. And he goes, okay. So, um, so I, I put her face, I used the image of these two people so that I could have this, run this little scene in my head. And the first time I did this, there was three people in this scene. There was me willpower, self-discipline, Chia. There was the rebellious eater, this six-year-old. And then there was this overarching wisdom that I, 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 I now call loving mother. So, um, so I imagined this when I wanted to know what I should eat. 
And the first thing that happens is that loving mother says, Chia, get out of here. You're the one who makes this into a power struggle. Really? Now that was news to me. I thought he was the one making it into a power struggle. No, I'm the one that got sent to the corner. And then the two of them could work it out. And even when I thought their decision was wrong, it turned out it was right every single time. And so I got the guidance I needed and along with it, I got the power that I needed so that I could be in the grocery store, like headed for something I shouldn't be headed for, trying to make myself turn toward the cash registers and not, not being able to do it and say, loving mother, if you don't want me to go here, you better do something about it. My body just turned because I have that power in my mind to just turn away from temptation, to stop craving on a dime, but I didn't know how to get access to it. So that was the third change. And then that takes me to the, that whole wad of stuff four through six where impossible things become possible and, um, you know, starts with a lot of data collection and then, and then looking through for the needs that the unmet needs that keep sending me to the kitchen. This is my understanding of recovery is that, um, my gas tank is full of these unmet needs and no matter how much self-discipline I've got until I start meeting those needs for real, there's going to be this push into the kitchen. So, um, the, the way I started that I kept pencil and paper in the kitchen and, and when I wanted to eat something, I shouldn't, I wrote my thoughts and feelings and that was my step four. And then, uh, I, when it got, when those lists got repetitious, then I started sorting through looking for the patterns and the you know, the strategies that I was using to try to get what I needed that weren't working and what those needs were. And then I, I read them to someone else and there was, there was, um, like one really big thorny issue on that list. And then some related sort of, uh, collateral damage issues. And then there was a bunch of dumb ideas like, you know, if it's free, I have to eat it. And, um, I, I eat, I, I'm, I eat because it's there and I eat so that I don't waste it. And my sponsor hears that. And she says, well, if you eat it, when you don't need it, you are wasting it. Duh. But you know, I mean, it's not like she's so much smarter than me. In fact, <laughs> she's a Christian. That's the only kind of sponsors we have in Boise, Idaho. And uh, she didn't even understand recovery, but she's outside of my head. And so this blind spot that I have, she doesn't have that blind spot. You know, it's like I'm sitting in the driver's seat, doesn't matter how smart I am, I've got a blind spot and I need someone else to tell me what's there. So I, I really needed this sponsor and I really appreciated her. She, the very first time we talked, she said, just relax. And boy, she had me nailed. 
I'm still trying to relax five years later. So um, her idea of how to do the steps, well, it, it wasn't going to work for me, but I needed her, so I did it anyway. And because I also need recovery, I did those steps my way. And, and that's what happened. You know, I, I had what it was like was turmoil. And what happened was I did the steps my way. And what it's like now is it's a lot better. So I did every step two ways on account of needing to keep her happy. And, um, and what happened when I, when I finished that four through six wad of stuff was I came out with this list of needs that were not getting met. And the biggest one had to do with, is my worth, do I have to earn my worth? Um, because I would go to the kitchen to eat when I was tired, when my back hurt, when, um, when I was frustrated, when I was afraid that things, my project was not going to work out. Um, all these things would send me to the kitchen. If instead, when I was tired, I sat down to rest, or if my back hurt and I stopped what I was doing, immediately a voice in my head would, would go, what are you doing? You, you have stuff to do. You're not that tired. You There's time. You can do more. Make something of yourself. You're wasting your life. You know, like, and that might also sound like a really dumb thing to be saying to myself but when I was you know three four five 16 years old it was it was brilliant it was a really good idea to say that stuff to myself because the truth was that my parents didn't know how to take care of themselves or me I was not going to get what I needed and as a child I couldn't face that I needed false hope more than I needed the truth because hopelessness kills. So, um, you know, my brilliant subconscious mind gave me this strategy that I would just make myself into a child that my parents could love and care for. And so I, I started this endless uh, project of making myself worthwhile. And um, and 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 here I am, decades later, and it and I still. That's time. Oh, I guess I better stop. I I thought I had twenty minutes. Okay, sorry. You do have twenty minutes. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought it was fifteen. I apologize. You have five minutes. Sorry. Oh, okay. Thanks for the warning. <laughs> um. So. So my, that the big unmet need was for healing, to make an appropriate response to that voice in my head, a loving, compassionate response to the child growing up in a hopeless condition. And then there were the, you know, my back wasn't getting what it needed and my body wasn't getting the rest it needed and all the other ones that fell out from that. And I put them all on that list that I took into step seven. And I, 
I don't leave step seven until I have a working strategy for every single need on the list. And that's basically how my life changed. And, and when I finished step seven, that, that takes me to the consolidation steps and just, you know, living the life that I've put together for myself. Um, which is a lot better. There's a lot more room for all those spiritual qualities that I listed before, the the peace and joy and serenity and um, integrity and that stuff, because, because this self-discipline voice crowds out all those gentler qualities. And, and um, so I, I had to learn about these, how those qualities work. And for me, it has been really useful to have the idea of spirituality. It's a grab bag. I put all those qualities into it. And I do that because they all work the same way and they do not work the same way as the material realm, the, the realm of science and things, where if I give away apples, I have less apples. But if I give away goodwill, I get more goodwill. And and if I want love, which I wanted chronically, and I would try to get love. And here's this, you know, this thing that makes it not work again, this getting, you know, trying to manufacture inner peace and and get love. And so instead, what I do now is I serve the cause of love i nurture peace and and if i if i decide i'm gonna put together a birthday present for someone i care about and i'm serving the cause of love it is so much fun and my life is full of love the whole time i'm thinking now what would they want what if i do this oh i could do that oh they're gonna love it oh you know and it's it's so much fun and my life is full of love. And, and that concept of service as a spiritual um, strategy is, uh, it, it gives me security because I can't always get love. I can always serve the cause of love. I can't always get honesty, but if I want more of it in a meeting, cause you all sound like a bunch of cassette tapes, I share honestly, and I get honesty back. So I want to I want to end. I want to stop talking about what it's like now. I guess you can see it's better. But but I want to show you really. I think this poem will do it. It's not about recovery, and and it won't speak to everyone. And in fact, if if there are any Christians here, put on your bulletproof vest because you might actually uh, find it offensive. Um, but I, I think it shows you my approach to recovery, what my life is like, and my spiritual understanding. I call it the lesbian's prayer. Lesbian, devalued, disfranchised, despised, hallowed be thy name. Thy vision come, thy will be done on earth as it is in your dreams. Already you give us our daily bread, coffee and social services lead us out of the temptations of powerlessness 
and isolation. For thine is the power to find meaning, not money, to nurture, not conquer, to choose peace over glory forever and ever. Amen.